Miss You Day Chicago is a church made of congregations rallying around the singular vision of joining God in the renewal of all things new. If you like what you hear, stay tuned for more information. Hey, uh, thank you so much. It's been such a joy to be part of this community for the past six, seven months. Yeah. Um, we live here in Lincoln Square, and uh, it's been beautiful to be part of, of, of this community. And I was loving the, the um, uh, sorry, Spanish brain sometimes comes in. So I was like, oh, the, the announcements. Because... Um, I was just thinking, like, that's precisely what we have to be doing as, as the body of Christ, like setting up spaces for parents to be um, welcome children to grow, nurtured, and for, like, what a great, beautiful uh, use of gifts within this community for the arts therapy, for the neighborhood. That was, like, so lovely. And, um, and connected to this passage, believe it or not, um, as far as... Um, like what are I strongly believe that we live in a time where as the church as the body of Christ our task is to cultivate a culture of connection by way of being hospitable by way of caring about the 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 gaps that society generally is not caring about um and I do see that um we are in that unique position, but uh, we also have a bad rep about when it comes to uh, how we have handled truth and knowledge, in a way. So I see there is a strong connection between our understanding of knowledge, how we manage it, and loving our neighbor, which is what I wanted to talk about today, when uh, Brian invited me to be part of the teaching this season, um, he, I said, like, what, what are you doing? Oh, Genesis. I'm like, so I've been always been really curious about this one, which is quite a mysterious passage and rather an ambitious one. And um, I just want to say off the bat that what you're about to hear is a version of what we call, we like to call abuelita theology, grandma theology. Uh, it's basically what comes when you mix up um, um, scripture with Christianity and our daily life and our daily context. So there are hundreds of things written about this passage that are very theological. And um, I will... Um, probably mention them, but just please know that it's a very intuitive approach to um, this thing, this, this, this verse. So for some context, um, this passage is super mysterious, which I think it's really funny that it's a passage about knowledge that we still don't know why we weren't supposed to eat of it. <laughs> it's like, what was the fruit? Like, no one knows. But it was the tree of knowledge, I know. Um, so... Uh, God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. Ooh. Wow. So, and I've been, I've been thinking about this passage in terms of actual knowledge. And I'm reminded of a quote that is very well known these days. Um, if you can tell me who said this. Um, don't be judgmental. Be curious. Who said that? Thank you. Because because 
most people, yeah, because in the Ted Lasso episode, Ted Lasso attributes this to Walt Whitman, who there is no record, absolutely no record that he actually said that. So a lot of people are out there going like, oh, yeah, just Walt Whitman said, I'm uh, judgmental, be curious, wrong, liar, you just saw it on TV. And... Uh, I, that's how I learned about it. Actually, it was in a, it was in a local newspaper where it f- was first written. I learned this morning. Um, it was a dad who found contraceptives in, their, in, in his 17-year-old's room. And the advice was, don't be judgmental, be curious. <laughs> that's the origin of that quote. That said, I think it's a pretty important one. Um, when we think about the, the, the importance of... Um, the connection between um, knowledge and our capacity to love our neighbor. Um, In this particular verse, this is the point in which um, this tree is the object of the fall, right? This tree is the one that Eve eats from, invites Adam to eat, and all shalom breaks Like, no, that would be the opposite. All shalom breaks apart after eating that. Um, and it is pretty mysterious what the good and evil means. Many theologians say, like, hey, it just means um, everything, the knowledge of everything. It's, there is this um, rhetorical, um, rhetorical resource called merism, which is when you gather opposites together to mean everything. For example, we search for him high and low, like, oh, everywhere. So many theologians believe that what the author is talking about is the tree of the knowledge of everything, just everything. Now, I grew up Catholic, so my understanding of this verse has always been juicy, as in um, the, the fruit of the, of the tree was, 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 was desire and, and sensuality, so we weren't supposed to eat from it. Which is, um, and then um, there is um, other authors like Lisa Sharon Harper who makes this amazing, amazing treatment of Genesis in the very good gospel. If you haven't read it, do. Um, she understands the tree as the fruit of the tree. Like it doesn't really matter what the truth is. The importance of the tree is that uh, it provides humanity with choice and trust. In love. So God had created humanity in abundance to be enjoyed, to be loved. And if there is no trust and choice in a relationship, you can't really call it love. So because of that, God puts this tree and says, Don't eat from it. And she then understands that um, the eating of it was a betrayal of his trust and this. Uh, and in, in the love, the, the question was, do we love God whenever we talk about the tree? Um, there is a, a different theologian who talks about um, the, the tree of knowledge as the ability to, to um, do uh, judgment and punish, which is, uh, he makes, I'm, I'm bringing this up as it, like, hey, there are, there are different views on it. Uh, but um, I do appreciate that um, these views talk about uh, relationship in a societal order um, that, um, that, this, um, that speaks to the nature of, of, our, of our relationship with God. Um, okay, so, um, 
I feel I'm boring you to death. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so curious. Okay. Okay, so I just wanted to, um, to um, make this connection between um, the tree, and then um, it also caught my attention that the verse right after that was a curious one. Again, many of us have thought about this passage in terms of morality. Eating the tree was wrong. Eating from the tree was wrong. And many of us have grown up thinking that there was like sexual sin involved or like um, some other type of personal pietism with it. And the more I think about it, the more I realize or, or discover or think that I'm of the opinion of that it is not the personal pietism that is at stake, but it's the context of relationship and the context of relationship not only of my personal relationship with God, but a communal sense of relationship. Um, so I find it really interesting that the next thing that God says right after it is, it is not good for man to be alone. And then that is how um, we go into the scene where, in the story, where Adam gets to name all the animals and through this process realizes, like, none of them is great, and then woman is made. Um, also, it's important to say that in the Hebrew, the word for Adam is not like a male, it's human. And um, so it's more generic. And then the female comes. And that is a very complicated thing for another day. However, uh, but the point of this is there is, seems to be a relationship, a power relationship that is sustained within relationships between how we think about knowledge and our community. Our friend, we have a friend who is in his 80s today, Peter Block. He's written, he's written, do you know Peter Block? Flawless Consulting, yes! He wrote Flawless Consulting in the 90s, right? <laughs> Consulting Bible, right there. So yeah, Peter Block is incredible. He is all about, and, and Tim can, like Tim wants to jump in of his... Not Sid, he's on the floor playing with that voice. But um, yeah, but Peter Block cares deeply about citizenship, and his latest book is Activating the Common Good. Um, and we were hanging out in New York recently, like in December, um, and this beautiful cross-sector gathering of like flourishing neighborhoods, so thinking about neighborhood as a unit of change. And, um, and Peter is in the car, and he says, he starts just talking, and just starts like, just like, throwing wisdom left and right. And he says, yeah, because the opposite of love is not hate, it's certainty. The opposite of love is not hate, it's certainty. And it got me thinking into this notion of if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. When we eat from the tree of knowledge and we think we know something, we no longer need to talk to anybody. Have you ever met a know-it-all? <laughs> Raise your hand if you like to spend time with a know-it-all. Raise your hand if you like to spend time with somebody who doesn't ask you a question. There is something about the gap in knowledge. There is something that, about the wondering that is highly relational and necessary for a communal life. 
And I do see a direct correlation between how we practice this curiosity and our ability to be good neighbors. We live in a society that is marked by loneliness and polarization, which brings me immediately to think about the role of the church and the role of the body of Christ in this society. So if there is one takeaway from today, is that we have a unique role as the body of Christ in this society to curate curiosity, to curate conversation, and to curate wonder, to curate care for those aspects that are not being cared for by institutions, government, businesses. It's not their role to care for for that at all. It's not that they're being bad. It's just that it is our role to care for that, and we might not be doing it very well. So the invitation is, we're uniquely positioned to do that, and the way to do it seems deceivingly, deceivingly simple. Um, let's go talk a little bit about the urgency of this. Let's, um, let's talk about the crisis of loneliness for a while. Who was um, familiar with the report that came up last year from the Surgeon General? Yes. So the Surgeon General came up with this report in May of last year, talking about we have... Um, public health crisis of loneliness. People are so isolated. People trust their neighbors a lot less these days. Um, There are these books like Bowling Alone who talk about how we have stopped being part of communities, of civic groups, of associations, and increasingly we are so lonely. Loneliness was found to be as detrimental for our health as the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That is how bad it is, right? That's how bad it is. So, um, and unfortunately, our youth are experiencing loneliness at a rate that we had never seen before. And if you're like me, when I hear that, immediately think about the lack of face-to-face connection, the increase in social media, which which has brought with it our inability to talk to each other anymore. Not only because the algorithms are made for us to fight, but also because they are made for us to encounter contact that we just like. Furthering the silos away from each other, especially from people who we don't agree with. We just don't know anymore what they care about. That's the context of our being the church today. And that's the context where I'm reading... If you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. (laughs) Basically, if I stop knowing with curiosity what my neighbor thinks about it, what's important to them, we'll perish. Um, So um, I just wanted to, um, to go a little bit into like, so what? How do we do this, right? Um... One of the most important things that we can do as the body of Christ Christ, is to model curiosity. Um, So I'm a recovering know-it-all. When I met Tim, how many years ago? Like 20 years ago? I was an outrageous, it was, it was funny. Intellectually, I thought, I like to think of myself as a, as a Marxist in the sense of my analysis of superstructuring, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, um, but I was very like, set on my, on my left-leaning ways. Uh, and that wasn't, like, I was humorless, honestly. Like, it wasn't fun at all. 
And uh, so take it from somebody who has practiced no curiosity, which actually speaks a little bit of where I'm worried we are going as a society, we're headed as a society. Um, I, I was born into a dictatorship. Uh, so I was, I'm an 80s baby. Uh, Pinochet was ruling in Chile at that time. Um, and while my family was not being persecuted, because I'm embarrassed to say we're in the wrong side of history, um, I did get to experience what it felt like to live in a society where people were afraid to talk to one another. And it's pretty awful. Um, the, the lack of deep conversation, the lack of community. Tim went with me when we had just gotten engaged. Uh, we went to Chile, and when we came back, he says, none of your friends asked me a question at all. Which got me thinking, of, wow, true, we don't ask questions of each other. A Chilean will be more concerned about entertaining you than knowing about you, but not because we are um, terrible people. It's because our society has this practice of it was dangerous to engage in meaningful conversation. If you said the wrong thing, probably you have to escape the country in like, I don't know, a few weeks. Um, so when I hear about the crisis of loneliness, isolation, the division and all that, um, I start in, in, our, in, in the way we, we practice certainty and we demonize others, I start getting worried, right? So, how to practice curiosity? Um, first off, do we agree that practicing curiosity is a good thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, first off, um, I, I like this, this woman, uh, Monica Guzman. He wrote this book called uh, I Never Thought About It That Way. Have you read it? Monica Guzman, she's in Seattle. She's a journalist. She's a, Me she's a Mexican immigrant herself, daughter of Mexican immigrants. And her story is that she's, she votes Democrat and all that, but her parents are two Mexican immigrants who voted for Trump. And in Seattle, in the context where we were living, that meant that her parents were the devil. And that was like an like, a, like an assumption that everybody in Seattle made, which is one of the reasons I wanted to leave, because I was like, I don't like this level of certainty about people. I prefer to be in a place where it's more pluralist, where we get to actually, like, if we disagree, we can, I don't have to assume what you think to be in relationship with you, right? So she developed these whole uh, practices around being curious, for example, engage in conversation with people who you don't, don't agree, right? Um, don't ask, like, why do you believe that? Ask, how do you come to believe this? What is the story behind what you believe? Um, engage in those conversations in um, places where you have time to bring up a topic. Like, again, going back to the cultivating a culture of connection, right? Do we have time to have conversations? Are we making time in our lives to have a sit-down conversation with people about things we didn't know? Um, are we practicing attention? Attention is one of the highest forms of prayer, <laughs> right? Paying attention to somebody is a great gift. You're paying attention to me right now, which is a great gift, and I'm not taking for granted at all. Um, and how are we putting our phones away, for example, to engage with a person face-to-face? -face? 
in our home, we realized that we were like constantly like working on the phone. We were not paying attention to our kids, and we were forming in them their inability to to be together. So we cut the internet for like two hours. They hate us for it. But uh, but actually, like it's like whoa, this is what. It, it, to me, it was like, whoa, I forgot what it meant to be paying full attention to one thing at a time. So that's something we can practice, attention and attention to one another. Um, building spaces where there is parity of power, which that's when I think that the notion of neighbor is so important. We find Jesus telling us, like, like the thing we're supposed to do is to love our neighbor. And I love that the only requirement for somebody to be our neighbor is that they're just sitting next to us. Their race, their religion, their political inclines, their income don't are not requirements for us to have the duty to love them. And in fact, if they're the opposite to us, we have a mandate to love them, actually. That seems so simply said when Jesus said, says, love your neighbor, but he's so utterly revolutionary. Like, Whoever is next to you. Now, we live in a society where people who are different don't live next to each other. So it takes a little bit more work to dig deeper and engage people in difference. But it's important. Um, she also talks about containment. Um, how safe is the environment that we have for conversation? Um, basically, um, when... So, for example, social media is not a good place for containment. Right? Because everybody can see it. And when there is no containment, I love what she says. She says, like, people don't explore their assumptions, they perform their assumptions. Um, so, face to face, time, contained. And finally, it's embodiment. What, how are you bringing yourself into this encounter? Um, Lisa Sharon Harper reminds us that for knowledge, um, in the, in the Hebrew tradition, it's a practice. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's a practice of experiential, experien, exp, experiential learning. So when we want to learn about our neighbor, being present and face-to-face connection uh, with the 80% of communication that is nonverbal, right? And that space in between is so important. Um, I want to, want to close with... Um, with um, a philosopher that we utterly love, um, Esther Meek. She, here's smiling because she's so lovely. Um, she loved the book, Knowing, um, uh, Loving to Know. And she talks about this embodied practice of learning. And she says that you don't need to know something in order to love it. The opposite. You need to love something in order to know it. So when Jesus says, Love your neighbor. Sitting down with somebody, loving, being committed enough to practice curiosity and getting to know them. I honestly believe that is the thing that will save our society. And it's so not heroic. (laughs) It's so simple. So... Again, I guess, are we going to um, volunteer to create a, a space for children? We, we, we should. Are we going to um, engage in coffee with friends on a weekly basis? 
why not? I've been doing that um, for a year. We have this group of moms on first grade at Pierce, and they become really good friends, but it's just the practice of being together. There are the little things that we all can do that can be incredibly impactful and transformative. And again, that is our role. That is the role of the church um, to, to do so. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Missio Day Lincoln Square. If you'd like to know more about Missio Day Lincoln Square, please reach out to us at lincolnsquare at missiodaychicago.com.